0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day.
0: Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Just before you listen to today's episode this is a quick message to remind you that if you like what you hear you can help support History Hack which is run entirely by volunteers using our Patreon account. There are links on all of our episodes or if a subscription is not your thing you can also now drop us a line on Kofi, which is just the equivalent of buying us a drink. So if you hear an episode you like it and you want to chip in just once then you can do that too. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another instalment of History Hack. This is going to be really good today because this is something that really, as someone who just was massively obsessed with everything West Wing, um, I'm going to love talking about this. Zach, who have we got on?
2: We have Mel Ayrton, who's an American history specialist with a particular eye on the presidents. And you can possibly guess where we're going to go on this one. I'm expecting a lot of what we term on History Hack shithousery. Don't know about you, boss, but I'm I'm <laughs> getting that kind of vibe today. <laughs> yeah. So he's written extensively on Bobby Kennedy, uh, presidential threats and assassinations. His new book is all about how you go about protecting presidential candidates, which is probably just an absolute nightmare and just lots of kind of running around chasing your own tail. I um,
0: imagine that they would love you to think it's done pinpoint accurate accurate at all times and that but there's a lot of flying by the seat of your pants
2: yeah I, I've heard this about Obama actually that sometimes he would just get so sick of being in the and this is the secret service that you know president proper he would get so sick of being in the bubble as they call it that sometimes he would just go rogue and <laughs> and do things that they're, and they're all going No, you really can't do that. And he's going, I'm going to do it anyway. What are you going to do? I'm president. You're there to protect me. You can
0: cause uproar by going into a McDonald's wearing a pair of shorts.
2: I haven't heard that one.
0: I mean, obviously this is pre-Trump, but everybody thought that was the end of the dignity of the office of the president um, when he went into McDonald's. But we've got a guest with us, haven't we? That is, is knows far more than we do.
2: Absolutely. Mel, so you've, you've written about, assassination plots as far as presidents are concerned right back to washington how likely is it that someone is going to want to kill a presidential candidate what kind of benefit do you get from that and when do you first get presidential protection is that see in my head i have this thing about abe lincoln gets assassinated the day that um the the secret service is formed is that right
1: well, you are correct in, in, in one sense, but uh, it, it's nuanced. So I'll explain it, you know, a little bit more. First of all, to answer your question about how likely is it, every president and so many presidential candidates have been threatened. Now, people say, why would you want to th- threaten a presidential candidate? Well, it's quite clearly the, there are a few reasons. You've got the uh, people who are mentally unstable, uh, the people who have grudges against the government, and people who are politically uh, inclined, uh, meaning that they just hate the politics of the particular candidate. So those those are the main reasons. And uh, as I say, quite a lot have been... Uh, threatened as the years go. A lot of these things have been hidden, of course, because the Secret Service are not inclined to discuss. Well, they won't discuss them. And I contacted the Secret Service before and uh, been given the brush off quite, quite a few times. So how did I find out what I found out? Well, America is a free society, uh, an open society. Um, and of course, there are Bureaucracies, and you know, bureaucracies uh, are easily, easily um, invaded by researchers like like myself in a legal way. You know, I'm not a computer hacker or anything like that. So you'll have a Library of Congress, you'll have presidential libraries, you'll have oral histories, you'll have research centers like Miller Center, and you'll have s- such a, an awful lot uh, of, of stuff. Um, which journalists don't access because they haven't got the time. And so, you know, the, the things that, you know, I found out, which are unknown um, in, in my three books uh, are just, you know, astounding and have surprised quite a lot of uh, journalists, quite a lot of historians, uh, and that these things have come have come to light. Going back to your, uh, the next part of your question, Zach, uh, When did it come about? Well, all presidents have been protected in some way. They've had aides, secretaries. uh, Often they've been soldiers around who who will give protection. Um, But officially, you know, the the official bodyguard didn't come with John Tyler. And that was in the middle of the 19th century. And he was given a a bodyguard, you know, passed by Congress um, because of threats that, that he'd had. Then. It moves on to the time of Lincoln. Now you have the Civil War. Of course, there's great fear that Lincoln would be assassinated. So you had Alan Pinkerton and his his agents uh, spent some time uh, protecting Lincoln. And then you had soldiers on the White House grounds, of course, and there was always protection around him. Uh, Often, though, when Lincoln, you know, left the White House to go for a stroll, he'd take one of the doormen. Uh, And, uh, you know, for for his protection, bodyguard. When he was assassinated, he only had uh, a a police patrolman from the Washington uh, uh, Police Department uh, who was at the White House, and it it was his job. Uh, But historians can't agree whether he was there as Lincoln's bodyguard or he was there to escort Lincoln to Ford's Theatre. So he was there and then he left. But it's doubtful whether, you know, he would have prevented John Wilkes Booth from uh, entering, you know, the box in the White House, the theatre box, because John Wilkes Booth was well known. He was known to Lincoln and he was such a famous character that, uh, you know, Parker, who's the, you know, the uh, police patrolman, would have, probably just said, you know, well, you can go and see the president. I mean, it was that easy in those days, even though, you know, it was the end of the Civil War. Uh, on Lincoln's desk, uh, oh, by the way, during the, during the Civil War, you had a Secret Service detective agency. It was a part of the military branch. Oh. But um, it had nothing to do with, you know, the modern... Secret Service. It was an organization led by Alan Pinkerton, the famous Pinkerton Detective Agency, Uh, and Alan Pinkerton sent spies all over the Confederate States and uh, to to spy on the the enemy. After the end of the Civil War, uh, what Lincoln wanted, and he had this on his desk on the day he was assassinated, was uh, an executive order Uh, creating the modern Secret Service, which was for counterfeiting. They never even thought about presidential protection at the time. But as time went by, the new Secret Service, which dealt with counterfeiting across the United States, uh, developed into a a dog's body, really, that uh, other government departments would use them as detectives.
0: So this Uh, is why they're still under the Treasury's remit? The, the Treasury factory.
1: Department, that's right, yeah. yes. ah.
0: yeah.
1: because of the counterfeiting. Um, and also, people say, why was it called the Secret Service? Well, you know, it was a, a holdover from Alan Pinkton's uh, group of agents. And, um, and also, they tended in the 19th century to describe detectives as secret agents any detective, you know, police department detectives. So it was like a 19th century old-fashioned term, just like they used the term crank when they meant would-be assassin. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the reasons I found out so much. Take, for example, newspaper ar- archives in the Library of Congress. Mm. Uh, I was looking for things like would-be assassins, attempts, assassination attempts on the president, you know, in the search engines. And then suddenly... Uh, because I was looking at um, 19th century, you know, my book, Plotting, Plotting to Kill the President. And, uh, and, and so suddenly I got this idea. I, come, I came across this word that was used in newspaper reports called, uh, the word was crank. It's an old-fashioned word. We don't use it now. But they did then. And a crank would be used to, to describe someone who uh, made an attempt to, to kill the president or you know, tried to get into the White House, break into the White House, uh, which happened an awful lot of times. And it was for this reason that I came across uh, unknown uh, presidential assassination attempts.
0: This is brilliant. So I love that you've extended the remit to be presidential candidates as well, because this is key, I think. So you mentioned soldiers at the White House, and the president cocooned in the White House. Um, he's on his own turf, isn't he? But there's something very particular about the presidential election cycle that um i think makes it a a moment where you you've got a better chance of offing one of them if you're minded to do so so um the layman in the audience can you explain um how a presidential election cycle works and what it means for the candidate in terms of exposure you refer to it as the torture trail don't you
1: i do yes because it it's it's very you know grueling affair um presidential candidates now begin their campaigns at least a year before. I mean, remember, if you go back decades, they wouldn't start the campaign until, you know, the Democratic Convention or the Republican Convention. Um, But as time went by, they realised from the 1960 campaign, and that's the reason I I started the story there, not just because of Kennedy's assassination, where everything changed with the Secret Service, but with the fact that the 1960 campaign was the campaign where it was so vitally important uh, to go through the primaries, the primary system. Previously, it was the party bosses. Is you it in turn
0: with um, television would,
1: as well? A television also, of course. Yeah. But most importantly, though, was the primary system uh, because people uh, were getting sort of, you know, aware that, you know, you, you don't want party bosses to actually, uh, you know, appoint, you know, the candidate you wanted the people to do that, and they can only do that through the primary system. So now you have uh, it kept on changing as the years went by the numbers. So now you'll have you know tw- at least twenty important primaries,
0: yeah.
1: uh, and it's a great Super
0: Tuesday, don't you? With the big then box.
1: you have Super Tuesday where you have so many of the state primaries together at one time, and that would be in March. But the first one in January, you know, the the Iowa (laughs) caucus. then you've got the important one. See, they never even considered Iowa many years ago uh, until, uh, well, the last few decades, really, because the first important primary was always the New Hampshire primary. And that would be February or March, something like that, late, late February. Uh, That would set the stage. And if a candidate managed to... Um, win, you know, the New Hampshire primary, uh, the media, you, you call it momentum. They had momentum and they would become, you know, uh, they would become set to win more primaries. And that's the name of the game.
0: If anyone's seen the West Wing, um, the torture trail thing, I I mean, so it is an exhausting year on the road, flying backwards and forwards, but it's written into the plot. Do you remember that Alan Alda's character literally can't shake hands with anyone by the week of the election? Because his (laughs) hand is basically broken from so much handshaking over the preceding 12 months. Um, So they, They did cover it off. But you mentioned, so you've got these poor presidential candidates running all over the country, um, and it is a high level of exposure, isn't it? But you did start with Kennedy, um, as you've said, for more than one reason. But where are we in the historiography in terms of the protection at that point?
1: Okay, Um, presidential candidates uh, had their own, you know, when they they started on the, the campaign trail, they would have if they were governors, for example, they would be protected by state police. You know, and I'm talking about Nelson Rockefeller governor, George Wallace governor. They had their contingent of state police guards until, you know, as time went by, the rules changed about when they would get secret service protection. And so as time went by, you would have uh, the rules just changing. For example, um, there's a long list of rules now, um, and there wasn't before. For example, uh, they would be offered secrets in the 60s and 70s, they'd be offered Secret Service protection, definitely when they became the candidate of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Uh, John Kennedy, for example, uh, he didn't have any official protection until he, until he was the Democratic candidate. And that would be in July of 1960. Prior to then, they had to make their own arrangements. Um, but as I say, that changed as time went by, and certainly after the assassination of JFK, certainly after um, the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Um, Robert Kennedy refused uh, protection, actually. He, uh, Lyndon Johnson offered Bobby Kennedy protection, uh, but he turned it down. He was an anti-war candidate, he wanted to be seen by the people as, uh, well, like today, a little bit of anti-police. He didn't want policemen around him because that took away from his images of uh, a radical liberal candidate who was not establishment. Um, and uh, th- that doomed him in many ways because if he'd had Secret Service protection, it's unlikely that, uh, you know, he, he, he would have been killed. Um, what they did instead was that he had two friends, Rosie, uh, sports, sports guys, uh, Rosie Greer and Rafa Johnson, and a friend who was an ex-FBI agent called Bill Barry. So the, the three of them, and that was only during the California primary, the three of them protecting Kennedy. Now, if you've seen images of Robert Kennedy driving through Los Angeles, with the crowds, hysterical crowds around him, pulling at him, um, you know, taking his cufflinks and, you know, taking his tie and all of that, you, you, you realize how incredibly unprotected he was with only those three guys. When it came to the Ambassador Hotel, though, where he was shot, um, the, the hotel uh, hired um, the ace security firm But that was only for crowd control within the hotel. They weren't Kennedy's personal bodyguards. Uh, He only had those three that I mentioned. Um, So really, um, by the time it got to the 1972 election with Nixon and McGovern, you know, these things are in place that the leading candidate would have Secret Service protection. In fact, after Robert Kennedy's assassination, Lyndon Johnson said, I want you to protect all of the candidates. Now, can you imagine, um, at that time in 1968, because it wasn't just, you know, Humphrey and Nixon then, there there is still other candidates, and the expense involved And, uh, you know, really a hard job for the Secret Service at the time. And you were getting candidates who really, they they shouldn't have been candidates in the first place because, you know, they had no support. They were doing it for the publicity and to say, look, I've got Secret Service protection, you know, some small congressman, for example. Um, So that process, that had to be dealt with. And and as time went by, they weeded out these people who were just standing uh, for president, and yet they had no real support at all.
2: I mean, that's an incredible run through, but we've just gone through there. Um, Can I just double back briefly and ask about JFK's assassination and the sort of subsequent impact? Do you see a sort of trickle down effect? So, you know, the, the obviously with JFK, there were a few things that changed. So, for example, open-top cars, you know, they're instantly out. Uh, Do you therefore see a replication of what's being learnt by the Secret Service then being applied to the the presidential candidates? Or is there a disconnect and actually people are kind of just pushing their own individual ideas forwards when it comes to strategies for protecting these guys?
1: Well, after the assassination of JFK, the Secret Service uh, were found by the Warren Commission to be pretty remiss in many areas uh, of protection. Uh, that had to change, and the recommendations of the Warren Report were eventually put into place. For example, you know, you had agents drinking at, night, at a nightclub in Dallas, you know, the night before the assassination. Um, that story was pretty scandalous. Uh, they tried to downplay it but uh you know it eventually came out um, you had uh, technology better technology better weapons and the obvious one you know they hired more more agents so you had that part of it that that was a response uh to the assassination but there was another effect that the assassination had for of future protection. And that was the idea of copycat crimes. And that was the, I, I researched it, this, this hasn't been sort of well known, but I researched it even back in the 19th century. And you had presidential secretaries who were warning about copycat crimes. Well, it's one of the reasons why the Secret Service like to cover up uh, things like to hide things really is because you know, it's a pretty dangerous thing in society. After the assassination of JFK, and then you had uh, Lyndon Johnson, who became president, and he ran a year later in the presidential election of 64, um, the number of threats were just incredible, right? They, they just multiplied. Uh, and the same thing happened with, uh, if you look at the assassins, for example, after uh, Oswald, Um, You had Sirhan Sirhan, he read about Oswald, he wanted to be like Oswald, Uh, he wrote in his diaries, um, you know, I want to kill the President of the United States and be the second Kennedy assassin, so to speak. Um, You had uh, Arthur Bremer, who was, you know, the copycat as well, read about Hinckley, you know, when went to Dallas. Uh, you know, the the, the the assassins of the past had such an incredible effect on the unstable individuals, you know, of the future. Um, and that caused great, great disturbance to the Secret Service. After Reagan, after the attempt on Reagan by Hinckley, um, copycat, uh, you know, finished the job, as it were, that Hinckley started, uh, that threats increased enormously, at least 200% in the weeks following. So there was always that problem there about the copycat uh, effect, Uh, the most important effect, actually, of of all of the assassinations, and the most important effect that the Secret Service were worried about, and still are. It's interesting
2: that you say about kind of upping the the game, uh, the Secret Service upping their game when it came to weaponry, because I have something rattling around in the back of my mind about the attempt on Reagan's life and one of the um, one of Reagan's uh, security detail trying to um, deploy his weapon, but he couldn't. And I'm trying to remember what it was. And I've got a feeling it was an Uzi, but he couldn't pull the stock out. And he's basically spent his entire time failing to pull the stock out. And so he didn't shoot the guy who um, went and took a shot at, at Reagan. Is is well, that a reflection?
1: Sorry, you carry on. No, no, it's okay, Zach. Um right. A news was pulled out during the, you know, in the vicinity where Hinckley was. Uh, but the other police officers uh really did, they only had time to react to cover the president. Um and then it, he wasn't hit directly by Hinkley. it actually hit the the car door or the car. Uh, a part of the car door, anyway. It hit the car door and then it ricocheted and hit uh, Reagan in the, the chest. The bullet ended up about uh, just a, a centimetre or less from, you know, his heart. Uh, I mean, it was extremely serious, more serious than pe- people have, have, uh, have thought. They thought, he you know, he was wounded, then he recovered. No, he very, very, very nearly died. Um, but... When you talk about threats like that, when you talk about weaponry, um, remember today the Secret Service were extremely worried by uh, artificial intelligence weapons, you know, drones. In fact, there was one drone threat attempt uh, on George W. Bush when he was running in 2000. And this guy, I think his name was called, I think his second name was Alford. I'll have to check that. but he did, uh, he was eventually caught, and, you know, he did jail time, um, got a drone and was going to fit a bomb on a, on a drone, and Bush was about to arrive at a, a football stadium. So even then, it was a worry with weapons like drones, but now it's the artificial intelligence ones that they're going to be really, really concerned about. So was-
0: Go Good.
2: So what's the philosophy then for the Secret Service when it comes to, sorry, this is a very kind of nerdy thing, but it's an interesting kind of problem that these organisations have to think of. Do they want to be at the cutting edge of the technology in order to be able to deploy those cutting edge techniques? Or do they want to be a generation behind so that you've got that kind of tested reliability so you don't have a situation where you're trying to use something that doesn't quite work perfectly? All whilst trying to deal with the fact that you've got to be aware of what's at the cutting edge in case somebody tries to use that against the president. How do they get their heads around that problem?
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role.
2: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Well, I think they get their heads around that problem quite easily because I know that whatever the Secret Service asks for, they get. And the Secret Service always liaise with the CIA, they liaise with the FBI, uh, the FBI, the closest actually agency to the Secret Service, because the FBI investigate a lot of the, um, the crimes involving presidential protection. Um, national security um, advisors, all there. And, of course, the scientific aspects, they will get what they need to combat any threat. Remember, you know they they have the beast now. I mean, you know, compared to JFK's Lincoln limousine, you know, the, the, this is you know the state of the art, bulletproof. Uh, it even, even has rockets to deploy and gas. And, I mean, just incredible protection for a car. Um, so yes, whatever they want, they will get.
2: Sorry, did you just say there are rockets inside the the beast, the presidential limousine? In the book, okay, people, go read that book. You know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's go back in time a bit and talk about some more of the candidates. And that. I'm really interested in Jesse Jackson because uh, he really did stick his head above the parapet, didn't he? Can you tell us why
1: he did? Well, he, Shirley Chisholm was the first African American candidate back in '72, but you know. She didn't have a chance, let's face it, Uh, she just didn't. And and most historians know that. The one who did possibly have a chance was Jesse Jackson. But unfortunately, as his campaign went on, he made uh, a big mistake. Uh, His big blunder, which lost him an awful lot of support, was the fact that he accepted Louis Farrakhan's support? Louis Farrakhan is uh, still is, I think, the the head of the Black Muslims in, in the United States, uh, which is a very anti-Semitic organization. Uh, Jesse Jackson made a speech uh, in support of Farrakhan, but at the same time, Jesse Jackson also talked about Haimetown. <laughs> he was talking about New York, and he called it Haimetown. Extremely ill considered uh, description of New York. And, and that really his poll numbers just naturally plummeted. So he started off with, you know, a lot of people were excited. Uh, I remember, well, in 88, I was living in America, and he stood again, he stood in 84. Uh, of course, he lost out to Mondale, And then in 88, Uh, he stood again, and, you know, there was still excitement there about his uh, candidacy, but he lost out to Michael Dukakis on uh, the 88 uh, nomination. But, um, yeah, so so in 1984, standing against Mondale, uh, he made these blunders. Oh, there's also links with uh, Libya. Um, that, That really didn't do his candidacy any good. Putting that to one side, though, of course, he was the first viable African-American candidate. And that meant that you'd have uh, extremists, extreme right wingers coming out of the woodwork uh, wanting to kill him. And of course, both campaigns there were about 311 threats against his life. Uh, many of them were serious. Many of them, the Secret Service uh, investigated and uh, at some quite a few people did jail time for that one. Uh, the most important one uh, was a real plot, which very, very nearly uh, came to fruition. Uh, but it was an informant who actually uh, did that plot in, as it were. Um, but it was very serious indeed. Yeah. So Jesse Jackson, of course, uh, you know, followed that up by Barack Obama, all those years later. Um, yes, the an african-american candidate yes i mean racists wanted to kill him
0: how different was obama's experience to jesse jackson's in terms of the number of threats and things uh,
1: just as just as bad really when he was a candidate um he he was which is why uh he received secret service protection long before the other candidates Mm. um, and quite rightly too um there were quite a few plots, as readers will, you know, see if they if they read uh, the the. I'm trying to think which one it was. The first book in the in the series, which is Hunting the President, um, uh, very serious threats, which were foiled by the Secret Service. Uh, but then um, I think they went about four hundred percent figure of, of that nature. But then, when he became president, they dropped. And the director of the Secret Service said he was receiving no more threats, you know, per year than any, any of the other press, any previous press. Um, Isn't
0: that interesting? They just like, appear to get over themselves.
1: In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast, the world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day.
0: Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your
1: podcasts. That's yes, sorry? Uh, I said
0: that they just appear to get over themselves once he gets selected.
1: Uh, well, no, you you still receive. They still receive. Obama yeah. still received threats. I mean, you know, all press But that big wave Pretz, of racism. But not as, race. as as incre- You know, the incidents incidents weren't as incredibly as high as when he was running for president. Mm. Let's rewind a little bit then and talk
2: about the mid seventies and Gerald Ford, because he makes himself perhaps. More of a target is it fair to say than he would ordinarily have been in part because you know he goes and pardons Nixon, so he's become president without being elected. But is he in real danger during the campaign to then get elected? Because you know he he's acting president, so therefore you know fair complete he's he's got the protection already.
1: When. Ford took over from Nixon. Uh he Ford was very popular indeed because he was seen as the the guy who healed a nation. Because America went through this terrible period, the Watergate period. I mean, you know, the, the things were coming apart at the seams. And uh they, they saw Ford as, as as Nixon. A lot of people were disappointed when he pardoned Nixon. Um, would that make him a target? Um well. You know, it, it's hard to say, but what I do know is that the threats against him were in line with all the previous threats and all the, well, the future threats as well. And that uh, he was a symbol. He was president of the United States. And that's that's an important thing as well. That There's two groups of assassins. Uh, one group are the ones where you would get, you know, it's, it's the politics all the time. They are political fanatics, uh, whether they're on the right or the left. Um, the other area are the ones who don't care. Uh, uh, take Arthur Brammer. He stalked Nixon uh, before he uh, targeted George McGovern. So Nixon's on the right, George McGovern's on the left. And then back to Wallace, George Wallace, who eventually shot is on the right. So the actual, you know, the, there wasn't anything, you know, wasn't any personality involved there. It was the fact that he was uh, a leading, uh, he might become president or he was president. That was the target, it was the symbol. Uh, politics to Arthur Bremer, well, he didn't have any really apart from crazy thoughts, uh, you know, because he, he, was, he was quite an odd character. Um, same with Hinckley. Hinckley uh, stalked Jim Carter. Uh, To uh, and got very near Jimmy Carter, actually, um, before he turned his attention to Reagan because he gave up on Carter because by that time the press was saying that Reagan was going to win the 1980 election. And so he gave up on Carter, concentrated on Reagan, but didn't get to attack Reagan until after Reagan was uh, inaugurated in the January of 1981 and he was shot in the march. Um, uh, so you have two groups there. Now, this is outside the uh, the terrorist groups. Okay, you, you've had all kinds of terrorist groups who've made threats against the present, even Puerto Rican nationalists, um, as well as you know Islamists. Um so outside those political groups, when you have the individual, the, the lone, you know, the lone wolf assassin, mm. Um, these are the ones I'm talking about who who you know a grave danger to presidential candidates and presidents.
2: What about foreign threats as well? Is there any evidence of that, or is that something that you know the CIA would just quietly tuck away in a file and nobody would ever see it?
1: Well, Yes, the CIA would, with with the secret service, investigate uh, foreign threats. Of course, they would. I remember way back in the nineteen eighties. You know, they they were concerned that uh, Gaddafi was sending a team of uh, assassins to America to to kill Reagan.
0: So they're judging them by their own standards of sending someone to kill Fidel Castro, maybe? <laughs>
1: <just thinking> <laughs> well, well, you know, Fidel Castro was a pretty lucky guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you're talking about hundreds of attempts uh, at Castro's life. Some of them were, were, were quite, you know, I, I guess meaningless in the sense that they were like uh, somebody who just threw a stone at him or something like that. But basically, yes, they, they, they wanted to kill Castro, yeah the CIA, with (laughs) the mafia, organised that one. Um, Yeah.
0: You've mentioned Reagan a couple of times already. Is he difficult to protect in that he's already famous, isn't he? He's a film star, so he's already got a certain type of fame. Um, Is trying to show him how different presidential fame and political fame is in terms of danger to his own person. Do you think that was difficult for the Secret Service?
1: No, because um, anyone who becomes president is automatically famous worldwide. Yeah. So, I know that Reagan was famous before then as governor of California and as a movie star. Mm. Um, But the reason why it was more dangerous for Reagan and Robert Kennedy uh, and Jesse Jackson as well is because they were charismatic figures, and that, that that's one of the keys to understanding why uh, these people were targeted. And all three of them, of course, were targeted.
0: Were they it's all because, targeted by the lone wolf type as well? Uh,
1: well, the Libyan ones, of course, you know that uh, they were targeted by a team of Libyan assassins. They never got as far as getting across the United States, by the way. But yeah, I mean, most of them are lone lone wolf. Um, but the thing with the Uh, the three guys I mentioned was that they attracted love and hate in equal measure. I mean, that applied to John Kennedy, you know, charismatic uh, president, but he had just as many people who who hated him. And the same applied to Reagan and the same applied to Jackson uh, and Robert Kennedy. So it's that type of politician who... Attracted intense feelings, especially in mentally unstable people, um, not just the political fanatics. There's, uh... Mm. carry on. Sorry, Jack. I was going to say, you know, that uh, these uh, these would would be assassins and would would be assassins. They were um, trying to gatecrash into history. Really, that they were nobodies who wanted to be somebody's. And uh, they thought they could do this, when, you know, the most charismatic and the most famous, that, that gives them more infamy. So there's a connection there. There's an elephant in the room of this whole
2: thing, isn't there, which is the Donald. Um, how do you go about trying to protect Trump, not only from those who would do him harm, but also with the best will in the world, sort of from himself?
1: Yes, I know what you mean. Um you you would ask his generals and his aides in the White House about how, how they dealt with with uh, Donald Trump. And are uh, quite a few memoirs have have come out uh you know since Donald Trump uh, lost the presidency um, about working with him. And well, it was difficult. He's a very impulsive character. When it comes to Secret Service, though, it's it's a different matter altogether. Because the vast majority, from my understanding, really liked them because he showed a lot of respect for the Secret Service. And remember, the Secret Service are like a military type organization. They, they they respect punctuality. Unlike Clint, you know, Clint the fa- the famous stories about Clinton, he just wasn't punctual. That caused lawful uh, problems for the Secret Service agents. Uh, but with Trump, no. and and, and if the agents gave him advice and told him, you know, you have to do this. And uh, usually he did it. There are exceptions. For example, when he, um, uh, I remember one incident where he, he, he was in The Beast and uh, he was just near his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida and he got out to shake hands with, with the crowd. And, uh, you know, things like that always take agents that off balance and uh, you know it's it's always a dangerous time. Um, so apart from you know a few exceptions like that, generally speaking, the agents uh, respected them and thought he was he was very nice to them.
2: Is there anyone who has a reputation for just being the biggest pain of the ass out yes. of all of them? <laughs> and
1: if so, are you willing yes. to sort of yes. spill <laughs> the beans? Oh, Lyndon Johnson. Really? Oh, God. <laughs> Lyndon Johnson was a bully. He was egotistical. He was just, you know, a really. He was a big man. He was six foot four, and he used to uh, lord it over his uh, other senators and you know his his staff in the White House. He he used to he he used to bark and boss people around. Uh, uh, he, he was that. so insulting agents as well. You know, he, he used to do that. Um, there's oh, there's, there's so many oil stories, over
0: here some, we'll of some of
1: which you can read in Hunting the yeah. President. Well, actually, I, I've got stories about Johnson as well when he was a candidate. Uh, yeah, he, he, you remember, after the JFK assassination, you had all these measures came in which were meant to provide further protection for the president. When Lyndon Johnson went campaigning in the 64 election, he just really caused so much upset because he was getting out of his limousine. He was standing up in his limousine. And remember, this is just the year, uh, less than a year after the assassination. And, uh, you know, he, he, on his ranch, he'd drive off and secret service agents would have to scurry after him. Um, You know, he'd drive off at a moment's notice on his ranch, used to get in his limousine on his, uh, ranch and just uh, drive at 100 mile an hour, you know, across his land, across the ranch. Um, he had a car which was um, amphibious and he used to shock some of his guests and his agents, obviously, watching on, used to shock some of his guests. He had a lake, a small lake on, on his ranch and he used to drive this amphibious car down to the lake and just go into the water and his guests used to be horrified because he didn't realise it was amphibious
0: he sounds like such a dick <laughs> i just when we come off there i'll tell you about the member of the royal family that has exactly
1: the same written. okay so, I'll
0: make
2: uh, it i think old. i've
1: had similar In the stories meantime, well. I'll, I'll, I'll guess which one
0: yeah it's not hard is it um hard no <laughs> it's
1: not actually you're right it's not hard does it begin with an a uh,
0: no comment um <laughs> That's outstanding. Thank you so much for coming on to give us a bit of an introduction into how you go about um, keeping these men safe where they're trying to go about being the leader of the free world. Um, We will have to have you back to talk about the um, litany of actual assassination attempts, um, especially because we love laughing at idiocy on History Hacks and maybe we'll laugh at some of the most stupid attempts.
1: Oh, I've got. Well, actually, I, I have. Uh, a lot of stories about the most bizarre assassination attack, uh, attempts. I'll, I'll give you a sample. Um, Clinton, right? There was an assassination plot against Clinton by the Republic of Texas movement. And these guys thought that they could put uh, uh, a cactus um, stem into a big lighter, lighter It was poisoned with I don't know, sarin, I think it was, something like that. They would get near to the president and uh, inject him. You know, so it was like um, assassination by injection. I, just totally bizarre. Um,
2: <laughs> there you go. It sounds a bit like some of those nutty CIA experiments that you hear about. where Oh, they're yeah. They're well, I, they're I can tell you people... a lot about
1: those as well. Yeah, uh, planning yeah. a seashell on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the seabed, so Castro would swim along. And they press a button, and the shell would explode. Uh, exploding cigars. I mean, yeah, just just so many, uh, you know, silly stories like that connected with. Well, the stories aren't silly. The stories are true, but you know, silly ideas. Uh, people think that, uh, you know, the likes of the CIA and the FBI, you know, you've got like hundred percent perfection. Well, as you well know, Zach, uh, look, people are human beings, and sometimes you know. You have imperfect people working in organizations.
2: There's one that I know about, which was Anger Alex, which was a plan to embed radio listening devices within cats using the cat's tail as
1: oh, an you antenna.
0: See the cat. Yes, Yes, a lot. yes.
1: <laughs> yes. it's you, not as right bad as
0: the carrots and Hitler. Well,
1: uh, uh, the one I heard <laughs> was that they would, t- that they would uh, obviously to, to get it, Castro. Uh, you know they wanted to destroy the economy, and the staple of the Cuban economy was sugar cane. So they sent cats. They they tied uh, torches to cats' tails and sent them into the sugar fields. Yeah, that 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 is a true story. Yeah. That's bizarre. Just definitely bizarre. going
0: to have you back for an episode on bizarre assassination attempts.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: Mel, this has been brilliant. We're going to stick your books on the History Hack bookstore. Are you on social media? Can people kind of follow you and stay up to date with what you're working on?
1: I'm not really very good at it, uh, Zach. I mean, you know, my publishers, like uh, many years ago, got a tweet account from me. Suddenly I'm presented with this tweet and I didn't know how to work it. You know, I mean, I'm really (laughs) computer illiterate. And uh, I mean, I've got Facebook just for friends in America and uh, family. But use that's just private, really. I mean, I don't really broadcast stuff like that. I, I I rely on the publishers to do all of that marketing stuff. Yeah.
2: Well, folks will have listened to this. I know they're going to want to check out your books. Folks, just have a little search for Mel Ayton on the History Hack bookstore. Yeah. Mel, can't wait to have you back already. <laughs> We're going to get off air and I'm going to book you in for something straight away. Because <laughs> it's this has just been fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay.
1: Thank you, sir. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the
2: 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book.